Hey, thanks for being with us this morning. If we haven't met, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. It's great to have you with us in the room. It's great to have you with us online today as we are kicking off the Advent season and kicking off our Advent series today that we have entitled Christmas Classics. And what we're doing in this series, we're going to have a lot of fun. And we're going to spend time uh, looking at the meaning of Advent all at the same time. And each week we're taking a different classic Christmas movie. And we're, you know, these are the, the movies that you just love to watch this time of year. You get a, a cocoa, a coffee, a tea, you just kind of curl up under a blanket on, you know, on the couch and you watch that movie yet again. We've picked five different classic films. And each week we're going to show a clip from one of these movies and just go, hey, What's this movie teaching us about Christmas? What's it saying about the season? And what does the Bible have to say in response to that? As we had things kicked off this week, we're starting with one of my very favorite Christmas movies, Elf. Yeah. So uh, before we uh, spread some Christmas cheer by singing loud for all to hear, see what I did there? Yeah. All right. Uh, let's pray, invite God to be part of this, and then we'll get going. Father, just as we are wrapping up the Thanksgiving weekend, um, we're just reminded of all that we have to be grateful for. Father, just things that we often take for granted. Thank you for food and clothing and shelter and breath in our lungs. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. Father, in light of just some of the, the brokenness that dominated the news cycle over the last week, um, just with uh, multiple shootings, Father, we just pray for families who have lost loved ones in the midst of this. And Father, we just pray as the Advent season begins that we would see clearly the coming of Jesus, what that means for our lives, the dignity that that communicates to every human being. Help us to be people that live that out as your church. Open our minds and our hearts to your truth this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Sure? Yes, I'm sure. Just do your job. Okay. Oh, wow! What's this? This is the North Pole. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Where's the snow? Why are you smiling like that? I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Make work your favorite. That's your favorite, okay? Okay. Work is your new favorite. Fine. It's time for the announcement. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. He'll be here to take pictures with all the children. Yeah! Just keep your receipts. 10 a.m. tomorrow. 10 a.m. tomorrow. Santa's coming to town. Yes. Can you sign this for me? Oh, hi. Santa's coming. As I uh, watch that clip, I'm reminded just how much anticipation can come with this season. 
There is something about the holidays, about the Christmas time, about this season on the calendar where there is just this expectation for something different, for something better, for something great. Just think about it. How many of us are longing for a great Christmas this year? How many of us want a lousy Christmas this year? All right. Thank you in the back. I see you. Right? How, many, how many of you were too much of a Scrooge to participate in the survey? Your movie's coming, all right? It's coming, Grant, all right? But there, there's just, there's something about this season that we just long for something special. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I would contend that God is taking advantage of what's happening in our culture stirring something up inside of the hearts of people, trying to draw himself, us to himself in the midst of that. The trouble comes with what we think is going to bring us a great Christmas. There are things that we chase after that so often don't deliver. What, what God is stirring up inside of us, that longing, th- there are things that we chase after that just will not bring that to us. And it's so easy to chase after those things. And so what we want to do today is just look at a, a passage from the New Testament, part of the Christmas story, where we see the first Christmas and we see part of what really is going to make for a great Christmas this year. Now, I'll warn you as we, as we look at this passage, some of the things you're going to be familiar with. Other, other things you're going to look at and you're like, okay, that's, that's just kind of weird. I don't know. Um, that's strange to me. I'm not sure what to, to make with that. And that's okay. All right? But, because sometimes when you look at things in the Bible, you'll read things that you don't understand. But when you take the time to dig into the history and the language and the culture, you can make sense of them. And so as we look at this passage, ideally it's going to help us avoid some of that Christmas letdown. Because again, just like Buddy, it's so easy to get super excited about what Christmas is going to bring. And then when it gets here, there's letdown. So let's watch as Buddy experiences that. Sam. What are you talking about? I'm Santa Claus. No, you're not. Uh, why, of course I am. <laughs> well, if you're Santa, what song did I sing for you on your birthday this year? Uh, happy birthday, of course. <laughs> uh, so, uh, how old are you, son? Four. You're a big boy. What's your name? Paul. And uh, what can I Paul, get you for Christmas? Don't tell him what you want. He's a liar. Let the kid talk. You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? Just cool it, Zippy. You sit on a throne of lies. Look, I'm not kidding. You're a fake. I'm a fake? Yes. How'd you like to be dead? Huh? Sorry, he's kidding. You stink. I think you're gonna have a good Christmas, all right? You smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. Okay. <gasps> <gasps> he's an imposter! He's not Santa! He's a fake! He's a fake! He's a fake! He's a fake! Ah! 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 Ah!
Now, have you ever had that happen? Not, not, not if you had a beef and cheese smelling mall Santa try and kill you in the midst of a Lego city, but like, again, you just, you're like, this is what Christmas is going to deliver, and then it's not what you thought. Well, let's, let's turn to Luke as he t- shares with us some of the story of the first Christmas and tells us how to avoid just that. Luke writes this. He says, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what was said in the law of Moses, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now again, there are probably some things that you're familiar with here. There's probably some things that you're not, Right? Like most folks, um, even if they didn't go to church, you know, they're like, oh, hey, you know, I'm, I, you know, I know angels appeared to Joseph and Mary and told them they're going to have this child and they're going to name the child. See, look at that. You already knew it, right? And, and a lot of folks are familiar that, that like the, the Old Testament law would tell young Jewish families that, hey, when you have a child and it's a male, you're going to circumcise that child. Now, you may not be aware that it says to do that when the child is eight days old. And that's what's happening That's why Joseph and Mary are there. They're having Jesus circumcised and they're making that name official for him. But there are probably some other things in here that we're less familiar with. Like you've got the purification rites and the consecration of the firstborn and the sacrifices. Like for a lot of us, we're like, what is that all about? And, And here's the deal. The reason that we struggle with these things is we don't have an experiential frame of reference for them, right? Like I've got a couple of kids, but my wife and I have a couple of kids, and in all honesty, she did most of the work, right? I was there. I said push, but she did the heavy lifting. And um, all kinds of you have children. All kinds of you are having children, like a lot of children right now. We've got five that we've had in the last couple of months. James and I are trying to get dates on the calendar for dedications and baptisms. And then we've got four more that are still cooking. I'm like, if COVID was good for anything, it was growing the church biologically. Amen. You know, so, but with my kids, with your kids, I haven't had anybody roll into church, you know, to consecrate their firstborn to the Lord or take care of the purification rites or to offer a sacrifice. So you're like, what is the deal with that? The key to that is in this term, the law. You see, three different times, Luke points to that as the reason behind why Joseph and Mary are doing what they're doing. And again, when you dig into some of the language and the history and the culture, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I see what's going on here. And sometimes it's even relevant to our lives and our world. So we'll start with this whole idea of um, the, the purification. What's that, what that is in reference to is, according to the Old Testament law, when a woman had a child, that would make her ceremonially unclean. Now, ladies, before you get all bristly, all right, it's actually a good thing. What that meant is for about two months, mom did not participate in religious activities and she wasn't going to be physically intimate. So for the first eight weeks, she didn't have to take the kid to church. She's not going to church. They're just going to stay at home, figure out the new rhythm for their family, and rest. And for eight weeks, God has said to the husband, hey, hands off. You're going to let her heal. Now, at the end of that time, a family would go to the temple and they would offer sacrifices. And they would offer two things. They would offer a bird and a lamb. But if you didn't have money, 
you could offer two birds. And how many young couples didn't have any money when they were young couples, right? Joseph and Mary are a young married couple. They don't have any money. They offer the two birds. Now, they're also there for the consecration of the firstborn. And this one, you have to go way back in Israelite history to really understand this one, but it's a really cool thing to be happening in that first Christmas. So you go all the way back to Moses, Pharaoh, and when the Israelites are slaves in Egypt, right? Moses comes rolling in. He says to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, heck no, I'm not doing that. And then through the power and direction of God, Moses brings one plague after another after another to bear upon Egypt. And the last plague is the plague of the firstborn. And the night that that takes place, you have a destroying angel come through Egypt and every home that has not sacrificed a lamb and painted the top of their door with the blood of that sacrificial lamb, that angel takes the life of the firstborn male, um, human or animal. Now, Moses warned everybody this was coming. Warned the Israelites, warned the Egyptians. It's just that the Israelites are the only ones that heeded that warning. They, they sacrificed that lamb. They shared a meal together. They took the blood of that sacrificial animal. They painted it over their doors. And then when the destroyer comes through Egypt, he passes over their homes. Now, the next morning, Pharaoh's done. He's like running the Israelites out of town. And as they're leaving, God says to Moses, I have redeemed my people by the power of my mighty hand. I did so at the expense of the firstborn of the Egyptians, and I did so as I spared the lives of the firstborn of the Israelites. Therefore, Moses, going forward, every firstborn belongs to me. Every firstborn of the, of the Israelites, when, when it's an animal and they have a firstborn male, that's mine. You're either going to sacrifice that animal to me, or you're going to go and pay a redemption price. And every human female that has a firstborn son, that child is mine. You're going to go to the temple, and you're going to pay a redemption price for that child. So in the first Christmas, we have Joseph and Mary there at the temple, paying the redemption price for their firstborn son, Jesus. And in that first Christmas, we have God the Father sending his firstborn to the earth to begin a journey that will take him to the cross where he will become the ultimate sacrifice for sin as he lays down his life and sets humanity free from the slavery of their sin. Now, as all this is happening, as Joseph and Mary are doing things that were very common for a first century Israelite family to do, something very uncommon takes place. They run into this guy named Simeon, right? Luke records for us what happens next as he writes this. He says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was a righteous and devout man. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him up in his arms, praising God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So Luke tells us Simeon's a good guy. 
He is waiting for the consolation of Israel. Simeon is, basically, he has been hoping, he has been praying, he has been longing for God to send his Messiah. Somebody who's going to restore religious faithfulness among the Jews, who's going to reestablish them as a world power, who's going to bring salvation for all nations. And somehow, I don't exactly know how, God has revealed to Simeon that he's going to get to meet this Messiah. And so Mary and Joseph, they show up at the temple to do the things they're supposed to do as a young Jewish family. And God, you know, the Holy Spirit just, you know, moves Simeon to go to the temple. And again, I I don't know how, somehow Simeon figures out Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they're the people he's looking for. And then things get weird. He gets a hold of the baby. Starts singing this song in the temple as he gets a hold of this baby who, I mean, they don't know this guy. So, so, like, again, you know, we've had all these, you know, babies born, and uh, James and I are setting dates for baby baptisms and dedications, and um, looks like the first one's going to be January 29. I hold that loosely, all right? Um, but it'd be like James brings little Owen in here, and I get a hold of little Owen, and I go all Lion King. Um, you know, and circle of life. You know, like, that's just bizarre. That's essentially what Simeon's doing here, right? But as weird as it is, Simeon's song is actually really relevant to what we're talking about today. So let's, let's take it a little piece at a time and unpack this. Simeon sings, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Simeon's saying, hey, I've received this gift today that is so good, I could die happy. Now, over the years, I've received a lot of Christmas gifts. Some of them, eh, some of them have been really great. I have never received a gift where I was like, I could die now. This was such a great gift. Simeon's like, I, I could go home and be with God now. I'm, I'm, this is good. I'm, I'm great. Now, what is the gift that is so great that Simeon could die happy having received it? He tells us. He says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. On that first Christmas, Simeon received a gift that was so great, he's like, I could die happy. And the gift he received was seeing Jesus. And Simeon goes on to describe who Jesus is in relationship to two different groups of people. He says first that Jesus is a light of revelation for the Gentiles. To any first century Israelite, Gentiles are people who are far from God. So Simeon's saying, hey, Jesus came and he is a gift to people who are living their lives just like like they're blind. They're, they're, they're like individuals walking around in a dark room, bumping up against the walls and the furniture. And then Jesus comes, and he shines a light into their lives. And for the first time, they can see clearly who God is and who they are and how to have a relationship with him. Not only so, but Simeon says that Jesus is a glory for your people Israel. In, in that second statement, Simeon is saying, hey, Jesus also came for people who are close to God. And he reveals to them God's glory in a whole new way. 
With the advent of Jesus, we see the power and the work and the person of God revealed to people in a way that they can understand in their humanity that they never saw or understood God before. In that first Christmas, Simeon, in a weird, Lion King kind of way, describes Jesus as a gift from God. A gift for people who are far from God, a gift for people who are close to God. And in doing so, Simeon points us to what it is that we're really looking for in this Advent season. He points us to how we can receive the gift that God has for us that will truly satiate what God is stirring up inside of us this time of year. See, in the Christmas season, it's just so easy to get caught up in things like family gatherings and gifts and food and time off work and parties and more. And look, I'm not mad at you. Those, they're not bad things. I hope you do those things. I hope you enjoy those things. But those things are not going to give us a great Christmas. They're, they're, those things are not the focal point of Christmas. They're not what Christmas is all about. Simeon's trying to remind us that Christmas is about Jesus. And all those other things, they're just extra. And when I expect the extras to do for me what only Jesus can do for me, I'm going to be disappointed. But when I make Jesus the focal point of my Christmas and I let the extras be the extras, all of a sudden that thing that God is stirring up inside of me, it gets satisfied. Now, what does that look like for us today? I'd say there are a couple of things that we can do. And they're really pretty simple things. I think oftentimes we make it way more complicated than it needs to be. I think if we want a great Christmas this year, Simeon would say to us, hey, share the light of revelation of Jesus with others. Like, who do you have in your life right now? Who has God placed in your life right now who's far from him? who's living outside of a relationship with Jesus. Your presence in that person's life isn't an accident. God has you there to share the light of Jesus with them in this season. Pray for that person. Love on that person. Invite them to come to church. There are invite cards for this series. They're out at the Welcome Center. Use them as a tool. Gang, there is no time of year where people are more receptive to spiritual conversations or an invitation to church on Sunday or an invitation to Christmas Eve than they are in this season. Have an awkward conversation. Take a risk. Invite somebody to come. Or in this Christmas season, look for the glory of God. Simeon says, hey, Jesus came and he reveals his glory, he reveals the glory of God to his people. Today is the church. We are God's people. And it is possible for us to catch a glimpse of God's glory in this season. The same as it was possible to see his glory in that first Christmas. And again, I, I would contend we make this way more complicated than it needs to be. Seeing the glory of God can be as simple as engaging in the spiritual practices that the New Testament is consistently pointing us to. In this season, 
Come to church on Sunday. Sing. Lift your heart up in worship. Listen for new truths that maybe you've never heard before. Listen for old truth and be reminded of it in a fresh way. Connect with the community of faith. Come on Christmas Eve. Make, carve out some time to make sure that Jesus is just at the center of what you're celebrating this Christmas. Pick up a good Advent devotional. Spend some time every day just reading what the scriptures have to say about the coming of Jesus. If you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know what Advent devotional to read, email me. I have a stack of them in my office that I use as a resource this time of year. I'm happy to share a few ideas with you. Engage in that spiritual activity that helps you naturally connect to God. It's different for everybody. And that's okay because everybody's different. One, Boa writes about this idea of spiritual pathways. And the idea that, that he's writing about is that everybody's different. Everybody's wired differently by God. And we all naturally connect to God through different spiritual practices or different spiritual pathways. Carve some time out this season for that. Like for me, when I get out in nature, it is just easier for me to pray. It is easier for me to sense God. It is easier for me to listen to him. It's, one of my goals is to carve out some time to get out there in the season. If you're like, I hate outdoors, it's dirty, it's cold, it's not, fine. It doesn't have to be my thing, it can be your thing. Maybe for you it's, it's caring for the poor. Maybe it's for you, it's being in community. Maybe for you it's solitude. Maybe for you it's worship. I don't know what it is. Carve out some time. Do that thing that helps you naturally connect with God and look for his glory in this season. This Christmas... What are you hoping for? What is God stirring inside of you? What would it look like for you to have a great Christmas? Things like gifts and family gatherings and parties and food and time off of work. All great things. I haven't got a problem with any of them. I hope you enjoy them. But they're the extras. They will not give us what we are looking for. Jesus is meant to be the focal point. So this season, may you share the revelation of Jesus with others. May you shine that light into their lives. And may the kind of energy that you're tempted to pour into the extras, may we pour some of that energy into looking for the glory of God in this season. And in doing so, experience what our hearts are really longing for. Church, would you stand with me, please? Before we continue in worship this morning, we're going to pray. And if you're here today in the room, if you're watching online, and you've never said yes to the gift of God's firstborn coming to the world to offer his life as the ultimate sacrifice and to redeem us from the slavery of our sin, I'm telling you right now, nothing will make this a more memorable or meaningful Christmas than that. And so today, if you're at a place in your journey where you're ready to say yes to that, we're going to pray. I'd invite you to pray silently with me and to do just that. Father, just as we begin this Advent series, help us please 
just to keep Jesus the focal point of that. Father, for some of us, that begins by saying yes to you and the gift that you sent in love, Jesus. In this moment, we just confess to you that we are broken, that we have sinned, that we have gone our own way, and we need a Savior. We want to put our hope, our faith, our trust in him, in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. We want to surrender all of who we are to him and follow him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.